You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Thursday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy. I'm joined by Brooks Childress today, T.P. Hammock running the board and taking your phone calls in the first hour of the show. We do have another shortened show today, Borgron High School basketball with a very important area matchup against the Tallahassee Tigers tonight on our airwaves, both girls and boys varsity basketball starting around 5 o'clock. So we are getting off air right around 4.45 today. So again, a little bit shorter show tomorrow will be a full show. We hope everyone enjoyed yesterday's show as at the end of it we had a wacky Wednesday. We did the hot sauce challenge, including... Uh, the last stab, which is the last hot sauce on the uh, Hot Ones Challenge. So it got very, very, very spicy in here uh, by the end of the show yesterday. Painful for many, and it was a lot of fun. So if you missed that, you want to laugh at us, uh, go back and check it out on the Sports Call Podcast presented by Coca-Cola. Today on this shortened show, we'll be reviewing last night's game in Coleman Coliseum between Alabama and Auburn. The Tigers falling short for the first time in SEC play. We'll tell you about what went wrong and if there's any big-time takeaways from that basketball game. Also, Auburn fell short to Alabama in a different way yesterday as Ryan Williams officially committed to Alabama, recommitting to the Tide after decommitting a couple weeks earlier with the announcement of Nick Saban retiring. And he also canceled his visit to Auburn, so he is locked in to Alabama. So Ryan Williams will not be joining the likes of Cam Coleman and Perry Thompson in that already fabulous wide receiver class. So he made that official yesterday. Uh, Also, we had a couple NFL hirings in the last 24 hours. If we have time, we'll get to those, including Jim Harbaugh, who did leave Michigan, in fact, for the Los Angeles Chargers, as I think we all kind of projected on this show through the last week or two. So if we have some time, we'll update you on all the latest in the NFL head coaching world. Again, if you want to give us a call today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9 to join us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Ryan and Brooks with you here up until 445. Brooks Childress, you were a part of the Hot Sauce Challenge yesterday. Otherwise, we've not heard from you on the show this week, but glad to have you on here on this Thursday. Yeah, you, you hadn't had me on the show yet, and I, I get brought on, and you, you know, you give me some hot sauces to to, to choke on for a little bit. Uh, so it is a it, yeah, it's it, I, I think I finally fully recovered from the from the last two. It was super fun uh, to to be on the uh, to to do that yesterday and and be in here and. 
uh, I'll tell you what, you know, there, there was a surprising, uh, a lot of surprises in it. The fact that I made it to number nine before actually like having any sort of adverse effects, I think uh, was impressive. But also more impressive was that uh, the former show host here, J.J. Jackson, uh, was able to stand all the way up until like eight or nine. And so he was... Uh, he, he was he was actually impressive in that, so make sure you go back and listen to that if you missed it yesterday. Yeah, a lot of stuff to go over today. Um, disappointing outcome inside Coleman Coliseum last night. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that coming up here, but it's, uh, you know, we knew the Tigers were going to face adversity. I think anybody that knows basketball and, uh, and you know, knows you know knows the SEC knew kind of figured that Auburn was not going to go undefeated the rest of the way. Kentucky went on the road the night before and lost at South Carolina. And South Carolina is a better team than they have been these last few years, but they're still they're an unranked South Carolina team. And Kentucky, a top 10 team, walked into uh, Columbia Life Arena up there in, in, uh, in South Carolina and got upset a couple nights ago. So, you know, you know, like I said, you know basketball you know you knew something was going to happen you knew Auburn was not going to go the rest of the way undefeated the big takeaway here is going to be how does how do you know this is the first time that Auburn has lost a game since that road app state game and you saw you know they had about a week off after that one they bounced back with a big win over Indiana Shorter time than that this time. You got to get ready, you know, get back, get ready to uh, to go to uh, Starkville on Saturday. You got to bounce back and see see if they can uh, can can shake off the the Coleman Coliseum performance and uh, and and bounce back for uh, a tough uh, Mississippi State squad. So can't wait to talk about uh, the rest of that game. Can't wait to talk about everything else going on in the sports world with you today, Ryan. Absolutely, man. So let's get to it. Let's start with the Auburn Alabama game in Coleman Coliseum last night. Of course. Uh, for those that were tuning in on television, uh, you may have been bailed out if you were getting home a little after 6.30, and that's because there was a delay as, of course, uh, the lights had gone off. I say, of course, like this happens often. It does not. But the first possession of the game was played with Auburn playing on a darker end of the floor because part of the Coleman Coliseum lights were not working, and Janai Broom hit a three uh, as it turned out, that was the only three Auburn hit in the first half. Maybe they preferred the lights not be uh, on 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 that end of the floor as normal, but they had a, a, a 10 to 15 minute delay. I can't remember exactly how long it was, but maybe about 15 or so minutes uh, before they were able to get it going. And then they also had a shot clock light malfunction over on the Alabama side. Uh, so Coleman was not exactly the most pristine of hosts last night. However, Alabama came out after a really quick Auburn start uh, and then started hitting a lot of threes, and that's something that they have done quite often. They did cool off in the second half, but there was a period in the first half, uh, really kind of the middle minutes and at the very end where Alabama had a couple stretches of hitting everything. Again, in the aggregate, it cooled off pretty significantly. I mean, Alabama ends up shooting below 40% from the field, for the game, and then 36.7% from three, which is completely normal for them. Again, we told you about their nearly 39% from three coming into the game. So really, it was not Alabama shooting the lights out. Uh, a lot of it was, unfortunately, Auburn not being able to shoot at all. Again, one of 10 from three in the first half, just four of 15 in the second half. And, of course, everyone is going to lament uh, the last free throw that Chad baker Mazzara did not hit in a one-point ball game after getting fouled, shooting a three. 
Uh, Baker Mazzara missed the third free throw. Of course, that led to kind of a free throw contest. Auburn ended up missing another one. Overall in the night, they were 14 of 18, which is normally uh, a, a certainly fine percentage of 77.8%. That's also right around their season average, but it was unfortunately the timeliness of that free throw. So, Brooks, uh, what takeaways did you have from that game? Is there any big overarching takeaways to, to follow throughout the rest of the season or something more you've learned about the team or do you confine everything to this one game um uh you know you, you look at, at how things happened last night uh you know first when you you see you know you, you look at the struggle i know a lot of folks want to to run to uh officiating but uh you know you look at it auburn only shot one less free throw than alabama did on the night um and the only technical foul on the night was called on mark sears in the first half uh, and so it, I think it was, you know, not, it, you know, no game is perfectly officiated. That that's never the case. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be, it's there's there's always going to be something people have a, a problem with. But, you know, you you look at it. I think Auburn. You know the three point shooting. I think that that's a big thing. Is you went on the road and you you really couldn't hit a three in the first half. Uh, the second half you started to make some runs. I think the the thing is though is in the second half, uh, every time that Auburn made a run. And was you know either got it within a point or tied the ball game. Alabama would then go on their own run and they would uh, build the lead back out. And so Auburn felt like they were always trying to play catch up uh, in that game. And and that's not what Auburn's used to doing this year. Is they they're used to playing from the from in front. When other teams go on a run, they're the ones that shut it down. They they you know hit a big basket or something to to cut that run. We saw it last two games ago or three games ago. With uh, with LSU, you saw it this past weekend, albeit late with Ole Miss. Ole Miss went on a 14-2 run late in that game, but Auburn was already in control of that. Uh, and so I, I think that you know Auburn is a, a team that right now looks like that they're going to need to try to you know need to play from the front to be able to to uh, and, and get in adverse situations. I think the big thing here is I kind of mentioned it in my intro is I I can't take anything away from this until I see how they play against uh, another road game at uh, uh, at Mississippi State. And I know, you know, you, you look at it and you say, well, Auburn's already done that. They lost the game at, at App State, and then they won a game away from Neville against Indiana. Well, yes, but they had a week to get ready for that. We're in the middle of conference play now. You, you've got two days to get ready. Auburn's not – I don't think Auburn's even traveling back to – traveled back to Auburn. I think that they went, you know, went to Tuscaloosa two days ago, played the game last night, stayed in Tuscaloosa, and then traveled to Starkville today. Uh, and they're going to be up there tomorrow and then Saturday. So they're, uh, they're not even coming back home. Uh, and so it's a it, it's going to be interesting. That's what I want to see is how they respond to a, a game at Mississippi State. And I know you know you should win that game. Your uh, Mississippi State uh, is not on the same level as Auburn is, or an Alabama team is, or any of the top teams in the conference. But it's still a road game in the Southeastern Conference. It's a, a place that's uh, known for a good basketball environment up there on the Hump in in uh, in Starkville. Um, but yeah, I think the big story was just the lack of getting that three-point shot in the first half. Uh, really put you behind the eight ball. Put you, you know, what was it, a fourteen-point lead at the half? Uh, but you know, again, credit to Auburn. They battled back. They were not, a, you know, in the second half they they were able to battle back, get it there. But the fact that every time that Auburn made a run in that second half, Alabama was able to, you know, they they got it within one or or two or tied it. Alabama was able to then pick up and make their own run and build that lead back out. I think that was really, really the daggers last night for, for Alabama. 
I have three things, which unfortunately means I will be yapping for a little <laughs> while. Uh, two are contained to this game for the most part, uh, although you could parlay them into decision-making that should take place moving forward. And then the third is more of an overarching point about the team. So last night I thought there was absolutely no valid reason why Leor Berman was in the game. And I'm sorry. I know it's tough to criticize kids like that, but you got to do it sometimes. Leor Berman should not have been playing in that game. Uh, I understand he's a great story, and he is, again, a, a team favorite. But in the few minutes that he was out there, uh, obviously he has not provided the offensive impact this year. Uh, he has not shot the ball as well. And then defensively, he is probably the biggest defensive liability of the 11 players that Auburn plays. And you saw that the couple of times he was out on Mark Sears, and Mark Sears uh, went to work. He got to the paint once. He hit a three over him. Uh, you can't have Leor Berman in the game. You cannot have him guarding Alabama's best player. Sorry, that, that is just an, an awful combination. And uh, I know the plus-minus says that Leor was a zero. I want to, again, caution you always plus minus for a season you can make some some declarations about it plus minus for an individual game is very very wishy-washy because the best plus minus Auburn had last night was Chris Moore I don't think anyone is going to say Chris Moore was the best player Auburn had last night with all due respect he hit his three he plays good defense but I don't think anyone's rushing to give Chris Moore the the reason why Auburn was able to stay in that game so Leor Berman he cannot be playing in big time SEC games. I'm sorry. There is a limit to some of it. He is not an awful basketball player, but you've got to have a limit at some point. And personally, those are seven minutes that I would have loved to have seen either the two point guard lineup or I would have loved to have seen more uh, uh, of K Katie Johnson or Chad Baker Mazzara, just, just really anyone else. Uh, and so that was decision number one I did not like. Decision number two, I really felt like Trey Donaldson should have been the point guard closing the game. Uh, Aiden Holloway had another rough one last night, and for as high as his ceiling is, I kind of feel like Aiden Holloway perfectly embodies what people think this Auburn team could be, at least as an offensive threat or at, least, at the bare minimum as a shooting team. There's a lot of expectation with it, and there's a lot of hope for it, and there is the realization that something pretty special is within there. However, Auburn has not gotten that out of Aiden Holloway. And, again, I go back to something that we were talking about with Tom and with Cam on the show maybe a week or two ago, that, again, if you look at the numbers for Aiden Hallway, they're just actually not any good this year. I know that he is the third-leading scorer on the team, just barely at 9.5 points a game. But here's the shooting numbers. From the field, he is 32.9%. And from three, he is 33.3%, which is basically right on the team average. So the three-point ball at 33%, like – it's not great. You can handle it. Uh, plenty of teams have guys that shoot that or a little bit lower. You know, at the volume he shoots them at, you probably don't want him to shoot eight, seven or eight threes a game at 33%. But, you know, he hits some special threes from time to time. Like, I'm not telling you 33.3% will in the world. But 32.9% from the field is bad. It, it just is. It is not good. And Aiden Hallway last night was 0 of 7 from the floor, and he's still a really good passer. He still runs good offense. He can do those things, and those don't change. He had three assists to one turnover, but and he made a special pass, I believe, on a dunk to, for, for Broom in the first half. But, again, if you are 0 for 6 or 0 for 7 at the time when you're trying to make a substitution decision late, that is not his night. 
and it should have gone to Trey Donaldson. I know Donaldson got lucky in banking in a three, but he was still three of five, two of three overall, eight points, three assists, no turnovers. Trey Donaldson moves the basketball as well as I think I've seen an Auburn point guard move the basketball in a long time. Like he is a really intelligent passer. If he needs to get going in transition, he'll make the outlet pass ahead. If he needs to keep it and wait and, and pick his spot, he will. Uh, he usually does not take a lot of bad shots. Ironically, the worst shot maybe I've, I've seen him take this year was that three that banked in because it was like a 28-foot three. Uh, and he, he still put that one in. And Donaldson has just been a way more efficient player. And so, look, if Aiden Hallway is having his nice game where he's hit three or four threes and he's getting really involved and he's hitting some of those jumpers, then sure, that's the opportunity for him to finish the game. But if he's over, Trey Donaldson is not that far below Aiden Hallway to where Trey Donaldson should not be playing at the end of the game. And I believe Bruce Pearl even mentioned he regretted not getting Trey Donaldson in the game one more time. So Trey Donaldson probably should have been in that game, although, again, I know there were bigger problems that Auburn had throughout the course of the game than just simply the closing four or so minutes. But I would have loved to have seen Trey Donaldson, at least as Bruce Pearl said, play one more rotation. Then my final point here is that it's about time to just admit that Auburn is not a good three-point team. Uh, There was a lot of hope that they would be this year. Uh, and again, this is why I coincided a little bit with the expectations versus reality of Aiden Holloway. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of potential there. But still, as we sit now, uh, Auburn having played 19 basketball games, having played a third of their SEC schedule, still to this point, Auburn right now as a team is shooting 33.1% from three. That is 216th in the nation. Okay, there's about 360 teams. So that is a below average mark still in the low to low 200s there in three-point percentage, they take the 121st most three. So that means they're about top third in taking them. They're around the bottom third in making them. So I don't hate the attempts, but I will say again that if you are 216th in the nation, that is not your strong suit. And Auburn, when they shoot two, or when they shoot a two, they have the 41st best two-point percentage on the year, 55.7% when Auburn takes a two. And guess what? Those numbers kind of lined up last night. Again, five of 25 from three, which is only 20%. Obviously, that's below Auburn's average. But when Auburn took a two, they were 23 of 42 from two, which is, uh, again, a little over 50%. 21 of 42, obviously, would be 50%, so a little over 50%. So that was a game where they really could have used, even though they used Janai Broom with 17 shots, play more offense through him, encourage the guards to make one or two extra drives to the basket, especially some bigger wings like Chad Baker-Mazzara. Uh, or uh, Denver Jones, who, of course, struggled again from the outside. He was 1 of 5 from 3, but he was 2 of 3 when he took a 2. Jalen Williams was 3 of 6 when he took a 2. He was 0 of 3 from 3, one of his rougher nights of the season, which which can happen. But, re- again, he was fine in the second half once he worked it down low. It just seemed missed a few jumpers earlier in the game. So, again, I say all that to say Auburn has been pretty aware of their, again, kind of struggling versus expectations ability from 3 last night. They got a little bit more passive, and they were a little too willing to chuck the threes, and they just never got them going. One of ten from three in the first half, four of 15 from three in the second half. You can choose your fighter there, but either one is not going to win you many fights. So uh, those are my biggest takeaways from the Auburn point of view there because I I think that, again, it opened up the reality that on the road – Auburn can still win these road games, and they still could have won last night. Baker Missouri makes that last free throw. They get a stop. They go to overtime. Who the heck knows 
what happens in overtime. So again, I don't make me don't don't also make this out to be he thinks Auburn's just trash. No, no, I, that's not it. Again, there's plenty of amazing things about Auburn and why they are still going to compete all season long for the SEC title. But what it showed is when Auburn is away from Neville Arena, as with most teams, when they're away from their home environment, they're not the same team. When they're on the road, they have to be far more intentional about their substitution patterns, and they have to be far more intentional about the shots that they take. And so when you have a situation last night where Leo Berman is not able to guard Alabama's guards, he can't be on the floor. When you have a situation where Trey Donaldson has played better than Aiden Hallway, regardless of the expectations, regardless of, of the potential the two show and the ceiling that Hallway has, you've got to be willing to put Trey Donaldson in the game. And then thirdly, if you're one from ten, one for ten in the, in the first half from three, you should not be shooting even more threes in the second half. You should be th- shooting the same or less threes in the second half, and Auburn upped it to 15 threes. So, again, they just have to be more intentional. And with all those things – Again, they were down to one free throw away from tying the ball game with 12 seconds left. So, again, I'm not saying that this is some exposure of Auburn and that they're actually not any good or anything like that. I think they're still really good. I still think they're a top-10 team in the country. But this is why you excuse me, lose road games because you get trapped into doing things that don't benefit you in the long run and doing things that are kind of the easy way out rather than taking the extra time, the fight for the better shot, or to put the right combination of guys in there and that sort of thing. Yeah, and, you know, uh, just to touch on some of the stuff you brought up, uh, Ryan, you, you know, you, you look at the stats, uh, you know, Leor Berman, he did play the least amount of anybody that got on the floor, but that was still, like you said, seven minutes too long. Uh, the only three that Mark Steers hit on the night was when uh, Leor Berman was guarding him. And I, I think that it was, it was going to a commercial break, too, and Jay Williams uh, was uh, – kept you know he emphasizes like you've got to get your hands up and it you know you you cut the camera from behind as mark sears was standing in front of him and he you know leor had his hands down and mark sears is like all right if you're not going to put your hands up i'm just going to pop this three and it was the only three he hit on the night he had 22 points on the night but uh still the only three came when you were guarding him that's not a good look uh and so yeah i, I think that you've got to be more intentional about uh, i agree with you i think you got to be more intentional about the the playing time minutes um you know, it, it's just it, it's something you got to work through. And I know, you know, like you said, it, it's a it, Leor's a good story. He's he's been very loyal to Bruce. He, he's been, you know, he's gone through his whole college career with with Auburn, uh, and he got put on scholarship. And it was a it was a great video on social media a year or so ago. But when when you're in these conference games and you're against uh, some of these big time opponents. You know, teams like Kentucky, teams like Tennessee, later down the line, teams like a, a better Georgia team are going to take advantage of that. Uh, Alabama, you're going to get them one more time inside Neville Arena. Auburn, you know, is, is going to be looking for revenge. It's going to be a great environment. But you know, they they saw the tape. They want they're going to go back and watch the tape that said, "Hey, if we get Leor Berman on the court, we got to get Mark Sears rotated to him because that's our that's our guy that that could uh, very very much well." be something that keeps them in a basketball game inside a hostile environment inside Neville Arena. So, you know, it, it's 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 things like that. It, it's things that got to get fixed. And, you know, I, I'm sure that, you know, you, you look at it, you look at the film, this coaching staff's going to look at the film and say, hey, we, we got to do, you know, we got to do something different when we get into these big situations, especially, uh, you know, substitution-wise. And then, like you were saying, uh, with, you know, shot selection. We're going to go ahead and head to our first commercial break of the show. Again, a shortened edition of Sports Call today. We are off air at about 4.45 today. 
We'll have a little bit more on Auburn-Alabama basketball from last night coming up a little bit later. But for now, again, let's head to our first timeout. On the other side of this break, we'll hit the Orthopedic Clinic phone line for the first time today. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. need a timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress with you here today. T.P. Hammett running the board taking your phone calls for now. He will be heading out to Borgard High School with Tim Sin and the guys in just a little bit. That's why we have a shortened show. That's a really big matchup in area play. The uh, winner of that game uh, would get the number two spot in the area, so that one will be important for Borgard and Tallahassee. Girls game is going to be at 5 o'clock. Boys about 6.30, and again, we're getting off air around 4.45. Let's head to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line for the first time today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. First up on the show this afternoon, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you today? Uh, I'm okay. Uh, you guys got milk? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we've got a little leftover milk. We certainly we polished off about a gallon and a half, though. <laughs> you know, I was telling TP before I got on the show that you know, I was torn between at times laughing and then wincing at times when I was hearing uh, J.J. go, oh, this is everywhere. No, no, <laughs> in the background. And then I think, was it Brooks? Oh, uh, was he saying, I'm feeling unwell? Uh, that was T.P., I believe, yeah. Was it T.P.? Yeah, yeah. Brooks was, uh, like, not speaking towards the end there yeah, for a little bit. He was right. just processing and, everything. And one of your staff, I think her name is Tilly, yes. was saying uh, about Brooks, he was uh, acting like someone who was intoxicated. He was uh, <laughs> Uh, not uh, exactly balancing very well. It, it's just it was it was doing <laughs> stuff, man. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the good news and, is the good news is the first five or six losses were really not bad, but the last three or so were were truly an experience. Yeah, they finally kicked in, didn't they? Yeah, the first five or six, I would gladly go out to store and buy and 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 consume on a regular basis. But towards the end, there just it just got to the type of hot that you tasted nothing. It was just just pure pure fire. Yeah, I think it was you, Brooks, when you're saying, it's okay if you don't breathe. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was fine if you didn't breathe. Gosh, I'm not. Yeah, we'd, ta- we'd okay. take a sip of milk, but obviously this is radio. you got to keep talking. And so as we started talking more, it would just it just come back full force. And it just kept it was a, a vicious cycle for about five minutes at the end there. Yeah, I, I heard the grunts and the, and the moanies <laughs> afterwards. So um, I, I commend you guys on either bravery or insanity, uh, but don't do it again, please. We'll think of something else wacky next time. Yeah, that, that's about as wacky as I think uh, <laughs> I, I think I want you guys to go. But it was good uh, hearing J.J. and having him back on the show. I appreciate you guys doing that. Absolutely. Uh, just real quickly, guys, uh, it was mostly heartbreaking for me uh, to see uh, what happened last night. 
But then I try to look at it from a neutral uh, vantage point, if I can do that. And I looked at the stats, and I said, you know, that game was very winnable. Yes. Uh, had we not done some unfortunate things, uh, and some of them were sloppy, just sloppy playing in the first half. Uh, there were passes that are just being thrown. I said, are we playing football here? There are passes being thrown wildly to other people above their heads. Uh, and then uh, we had people who weren't guarding the three-pointers. Uh, one of them, uh, I said, well, come on, guys, somebody get after Nelson. Isn't that his name, Grant Nelson? Uh, well, he's not the good three-point shooter. He's their good post well, he's player. He's making them. Uh, well, he, yeah, he, well, he did not hit a three. It was uh, Ryland oh, Griffin. It was Ryland Griffin, okay. Griffin, I think. He hit five threes. And that slew of, what, three or four three-pointers yeah. all of a sudden in a row? I said, come on, come on, Bruce, call me timeout. But he didn't do it. Yeah, well, he took one at one point in the first half. I don't think it was right after that sequence, but I remember him taking one when Auburn's down about five or so and they'd been struggling for offense. But, yeah, he did not in that sequence. So to make a long story short, as a business we played the first half, you know, we actually outscored them by ten points in the second half. Yes, yes. And having said that, it's sloppy. And then uncharacteristically, some players that we normally, you know, I mean, uh, I'm always just, uh, I guess, you know, slopping over is Jalen Williams. He was uncharacteristically just god awful last night and making shots. Yeah, uh, again, he missed his three balls, and that's what really mucked up the numbers. He was three of six when he shot a two, which, you know, it's still a little below his mark. But again, you have to understand that some guys will go through bad games, and unfortunately, just about everyone. But not from, last night. Why well, that damn game? I know, I know, but it's also because it's on the road. I, I, I don't feel Auburn will, will have those bad games. Uh, predominantly when Alabama comes to Neville uh, and and you will and and unfortunately again Auburn will have another road game just like this where where they're going to shoot very poorly either Janai Broom or Jalen Williams or somebody will be very uncharacteristically poor uh, that that's the nature of college basketball that's why you know again I, I told you about Auburn and, and North Carolina were the last two remaining uh, power six conference teams without a conference loss, which means even teams that I value to be final four caliber teams like Kansas or UConn, they've already lost once or, or twice uh, in conference play. So again, this is the nature of it. And yeah, it absolutely sucks. It's to Alabama. No, no doubt about it. But that's also why we all kind of said so, something was going to go awry. It was, it was bound to. And you know, guys, I said, uh, your choice for me for yesterday, we're what either we win by two to four points or we lose by two to four points. Yep. And, Sure enough. Now, I do want to ask you about that last, you know, we had 0.5 seconds left in the game. Yep. He throws it in. He, uh, who was it? Was it uh, Chad? I think the first, I don't know who threw it in. I think Jalen Williams was the one that made the shot. It, it, yeah. It went in, and then the referee discounted it. Why, guys? I mean, it just had already gone off. Yeah, they didn't review it because it, well, the refs might have reviewed it. They didn't show the review on ESPN. Uh, Point three is the bare minimum that it's not humanly possible with any less time to get a shot off if it's if it's actually a catch. You have to tip it if it's less than point three. So point five is still not much time. And Jay, I can tell you, and I think we all can think about it. Jay Williams does not have a quick shooting motion. So I I would find it hard to believe personally that he could get that off in point five seconds, uh, just because he is, is not a quick form guy. Uh, obviously, unless you were betting, because obviously it was very relevant to the line of three yes, and a it half. it was, wasn't it? Yes. If uh, he makes it and they count it, you win. Yes. So, obviously, result, no, but line, yes, it matters. But, again, I, I, I would be very skeptical that his shooting motion could get that off in time. 
And then I agree with you. And even, you know, Pearl says in his post-game uh, interview with uh, uh, Andy Burcham, he should have probably kept, you know, Trey Dawson in. Well, why didn't you? Why didn't you? Trey was doing a much better job, I thought, than Aiden Holloway was. So uh, that, uh, that mistake was costly. And, again, uh, Leo Borman, yeah, emotionally I like the guy. Darn, man, you're not even putting your hands up in front of, uh, well, what's his name, uh, Sears. He just he's looking at him. Yeah, and, and also in that play, look, uh, the, the possession before, Sears drove right around him, got, got to his left hand and made a layup. And so then Lior overcompensated. He was a step back and hands down, as Brooks talked about earlier, and so there's no way to put a, a truly great contest on the three-point shot. So basically in two possessions, Mark Sears proved – Leor Berman could not guard him. And so, again, it was, A, questionable for Berman to be on the floor to begin with, but, B, just inexcusable for him to end up being matched up with Alabama's best player. So uh, I want to get your take on my comment. Guys, uh, from an un-Auburn-like objective, I just thought, hey, you know, this team is not as good as I was hoping they would be yet, uh, but they're not as bad as they uh, maybe – they could have been blown out last night. They didn't give up. They didn't throw in uh, the flag. They didn't nail it in. And they lost by four points uh, to a team that was unconscious last night on three-point shooting. And uh, they, they they just, I think, they have a lot more ceiling than maybe uh, emotionally I thought, well, they're, they're done for. They're not going anywhere. Well, I mean, look, I mean, I don't think my viewpoint of Auburn really changed much last night because – I feel that they have a very high ceiling, and I feel like they have played that way with a lot of teams. I think the next check mark for Auburn in realizing the potential of their team or realizing the ceiling would to be to eat, even if it's at home, which it would be, to beat either Kentucky or Tennessee. Uh, if they lose both those games, you know, plus another road game or two, they'll still end up with a good conference record, but I will have my doubts on if Auburn can actually be the truly, really, really good team. Because I believe Kentucky's probably about 10, 9, 11, somewhere in there in the country, and Tennessee could be as high as 4, 5, 6, somewhere in there. So it, even if it's at home, I would take it. But Auburn's next task, obviously you don't want to go on a big big losing streak here on the road or anything like that, but their really next, next, excuse me, next task in terms of realizing their ceiling is to beat one of those two teams. Because otherwise, Steve, I'll tell you, Auburn didn't move a muscle in any of the analytics last night with the loss. Ken Palm, there's still five. Uh, some of the other sites still have them in the top six and seven. Didn't change that they're a, a high three seed in the bracketology and all that stuff. Uh, and, and so, because again, this this was kind of expected. Vegas picked it. Uh, again, the analytics said Bama would, should be slightly favored. So again, this really didn't change uh, a, a lot of the perception nationwide or anything like that. And I know today's not Friday, but um, how do you see this matchup? How, how well do we match up against Mississippi State? Yeah, so again, Mississippi State is going to definitely be more of a grinded-out team. Uh, they are not uh, nearly the offensive uh, force that Alabama is. Uh, State's best player is normally Tolu Smith, who's a big guy. Uh, he's been there a while, so that name is probably familiar. I mean, he's averaging uh, 17, 18 points a game and, and several rebounds a game. So he's their best player. He has not been in the whole season. Uh, he was unhealthy to start. He is healthy now. Uh, so he's played about half the season. 
And then beyond that, they have one other guard that's pretty good. But, again, that's it's not a team that scores nearly as much. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. They're at 74 points a game, which, of course, Auburn's in the low 80s and Alabama was in the mid to upper 80s. So, again, that is a slower-paced team. That is a team that will like to go down low to Tolu Smith. Uh, and, and so for Auburn, I, I would think they'd have a better opportunity at winning the three-point line because also Mississippi State's only about 31% from three on the year. Uh, we should be favored? I would think this one Auburn should be favored. I would say probably by about what Alabama was favored by. I'd say three to four points somewhere in there. Okay. And speaking of top ranked teams, I saw well, my dog my attention Illinois last uh, last night lost. Yes, uh, toward Northwestern, and I, I think there was two. I think there's now been two teams kind of directly behind Auburn in the top 25 that have lost. So uh, that was one of them. And then it was, uh, I'm trying to think, number 11, Oklahoma, that lost at home to Texas on Tuesday. So number 10 and number 11 have already lost. So, again, that's why if Auburn beats Mississippi State tomorrow, or excuse me, on Saturday, I think they will still end up being in the top 10 come the next next AP poll. All right. And, guys, let me ask you, because I have not read anything anywhere on the websites I go to uh, about what's happening with Cadillac. Do you know what's he doing now? Where is he at? I mean, no, he's not uh, accepted another position that I'm aware of. Uh, so, uh, again, there was some some background stuff there that, that maybe some other schools would not necessarily uh, be ready to jump in on, but we'll see. But, yeah, no, as of right now, no update. And D.C., any updates on that? Uh, still no up, updates on Code D.C. Again, we've still not heard anything but Kiffin and uh, <laughs> I was Durkin. Say, I, I literally just read a little bit from, uh, from Jason Caldwell at 247, uh, friend of the program, and he still, uh, Jason Caldwell is still saying either Durkin or Kiffin and that they expect something to be done maybe early next week. But he said make, things can't hit snags and stuff. So it, it's still this, those two names that they're zeroing in on. Okay. And nobody apparently wants Belichick. Well, I mean, it's still very well maybe Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta is, is having an incredibly thorough process. I think I saw that there's been 14 people that have interviewed for that job which look the the nfl you do interview seven eight nine pretty frequently but 14 is still a lot so it could be belichick but i also think atlanta uh is looking at it from a perspective of belichick might be wanting more personnel say than some of these other coaches so they're kind of they're, they're probably interviewing these guys to kind of weigh all right we might like belichick the most as a coach but when we factor in that he's going to be wanting to be somewhat involved or very involved in personnel decisions where these other guys are not, where they might be weighing the pros and cons of that. And Harbaugh escapes? Yes. And leaves Michigan holding the bag? Yes. Yes. Wow. So cheating does pay off, doesn't it? I mean, look, he, whatever whatever happened uh, there, he's, he's going to end up I mean, he might if it's serious enough with the penalties, he might get a show cause, but he won't care. This will this will be his last job, I think. I think he's about sixty yeah. or sixty one, so he'll he'll ride it out with the NFL, and uh, if if it succeeds, then he'll coach there a while. If not, I think that'll probably be it for him. And I guess those kind of issues, integrity and character, doesn't really matter very much to uh, NFL teams. Yeah, well, yeah, and again, and and also those are not violations. Uh, Again, especially the recruiting kind are not violations you have to worry about the NFL. Now, obviously, the the cheating stuff, that has come up once or twice in the NFL in the last 20 years. So that's something they're not going to want to have happen again. But, I mean, all it does is, is harm all the, you know, just deny it or, or privately in an interview acknowledge it and say it won't happen again. That's not how we're going to do it, blah, blah, blah. And that's going to be good enough. Okay, guys. 
Thank you again for your time. And look, yesterday what you did was hilarious. Uh, even I'm, I'm sorry uh, at, at your expense, but please don't do it again. Because <laughs> uh, I want you guys to stick around for a while. Okay. All right. So thank you for again for your time, and thank you again for having JJ yesterday. And with that, have a safe afternoon, and evening, and uh, warrior guys. Warrior you'll see, appreciate that phone call. That is Retire Ward M. Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Let's head to one more break here in hour number one. Again, a shortened edition of the show ending at 445 today. But if you want to give us a call, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We also, as we go to break, want to give you the opportunity to win four tickets to Auburn women's basketball against Georgia Monday night inside of Neville Arena. Four tickets to Auburn and Georgia women's basketball in Neville Arena. Again, those same numbers, 334-887-3401. First caller now gets four tickets to Auburn women's basketball against Georgia Monday night. Sports call returns in a moment. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger Welcome back to Sports Call and Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday. TP Hammock running the board and taking your phone calls. Just a few minutes, about four or five minutes left here in hour number one. Again, reminder, getting off here at 445 today because of Borgard High School basketball coming up at 5 o'clock. Appreciate the phone call from Retire Ward M. Steve. I'm sure you heard him mention again our hot sauce challenge that we had yesterday. Again, you can catch that on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola and uh, certainly had a good time, maybe not the last 10 minutes, (laughs) but prior to that, had a good time doing that. We hope that it was good fun. We also knew that there was news going on in the sports world, such as Jim Harbaugh uh, going to the Chargers and such as Ryan Williams committing to Alabama. However, it's kind of hard to commit to that after we'd already committed to uh, the everything we have to do for the hot sauce challenge. So we will be getting to those items in hour number two. I do want to again mention something that Steve asked about. Again, uh, still no news on the Auburn co-defensive coordinator search. Um, This is something that, Brooks, I know that we were talking about about two or three weeks. I mean, honestly, it's been about two or three weeks when it happened. And we both kind of said, look, this is not something that has to happen quickly. There is not much of a recruiting need in terms of that because the main signing period has come and gone. If you are still trying to recruit Ryan Williams, that is an offensive coach deal, not a defensive coach deal. Auburn did replace their offensive coaches a little bit quicker than some of their defensive coaches. Uh, And, of course, Marcus Davis was here the whole time as wide receivers coach. But, uh, again, usually in college sports, because of the timeline, you fire someone at the end of November at the end of the season – 
and need a whole new staff, you got to do that within a week or two because of the recruiting uh, high school kids, but then also the portal is going to open for everybody. Well, right now the, rec- uh, the portal is only open to jobs that become available, such now as Michigan for the next 30 days, such as Alabama two weeks ago, and then or, or South Alabama or all the, all the schools that lost a head coach or graduates, which, of course, if you've not made that decision by now, I mean, we're getting close to spring workouts, honestly. I mean, you're going to work out as an individual pretty soon. You'll work out as a team in March. And so, uh, again, you will have probably made that decision if you graduated by now. Uh, certainly in most cases. So, again, the timeline dictated Auburn did not have to be uh, as quick on this, and therefore uh, they've certainly taken their time. And we continue to hear Kiffin versus uh, DJ Durkin. I don't know if you have an opinion on one or the other there, but, again, those two names have been constant all week. Yeah, you know, it, it's – it's an interesting situation because you you get to you know you you've got a guy and and the thing is is you know you talked about you know the the not big need of recruiting you already have a co defensive coordinator on campus who is a proven commodity in the recruiting trail and so we we've already seen Charles Kelly out and recruiting and and you know hosting uh hosting players here on campus and and all that and so it's not like you're sitting here and you're falling behind the eight ball for any future classes because you don't have defensive coordinator you've got a co-guy uh in, in the building that is a proven commodity when it, when it comes to recruiting and so he's uh he's a guy that can that can help uh, that that's already doing work uh on that in, in that front uh when you look at the co dc the, the two names you know kiffin and durkin i don't think there's you know it, it's it's two guys that i think both have their their upsides um honestly though i, I think that you know i, I would Lean slightly toward DJ Durkin uh, because he's uh, been in, been in the Southeastern Conference more recently. Uh, uh, he's he's had some successful defenses uh, at at Texas A and M. Uh, had some had some success on defense at Ole Miss, and so it, it's a uh, you know he's a guy that could you know I, I think would would uh, would fit in and, and come in and and can know the conference right off the bat. Not saying Chris Kiffin couldn't, um, and I think that you know he he would do a good job well. But I would think I'd lean slightly toward a DJ Durkin kind of guy um, to to fill this void if it's down to those two. But yeah, it, it's just it, you're in a situation where it's you know you you've got a defensive coordinator on campus already, and so he's doing work uh, recruiting. And you're not really going to start putting in your, you know, your your defensive playbook and stuff until you hit that spring practice here next month or so, and, and you start having those meetings. That's when you start to put in that defensive playbook. Um, and so, you know, obviously, the sooner you could get somebody on campus to to kind of start, you know, the ball rolling, the better. But it's not a detriment to the to the team right now, especially when you know I, I you know don't want to take a shot, but you look across the state and they continue to the other school continues to leak guys from the portal and everything. Um, you're it's it's not like you're you're sitting here and you're like we we you know Nick Saban's over there coaching his defense. Or, we got to get up, we got to get ready, and it's like they're they're trying to get their feet still over on the other side of the state, and so that that's your main competition, and you're not falling too far behind. That will do it for our number one of the program. Again, that Auburn co-defensive coordinator job still out there. Of course, we will update you uh, when Auburn makes a decision on that. But we are out of time for the first hour. Again, only 45 minutes coming up in hour number two. We will get to the Ryan Williams commitment. Also to some of this news in the National Football League. Of course, we 
have the Atlanta Falcons proud affiliate here in East Alabama, the Atlanta Falcons. And the Atlanta Falcons just made a head coaching hire, but it is not Bill Belichick. We will talk about that and more in hour number two. Stay tuned. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620, WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childers with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. Again, another reminder not to throw you off that uh, we will be getting off the air here in just about 40 or 45 minutes. Borgard High School basketball, girls and boys basketball starting at 5 o'clock tonight against the Tallahassee Tigers. Very important area matchup there as Hard to believe the basketball playoffs start in just about a week or two. So, uh, again, they are going to be calling that one. T.P. Hammock will be out there with Tim Sin and the guys. So want to make sure you listen to that. So, again, we get off air here in less than an hour. So let's get to it here in hour number two. Uh, let's start. Do need to tell you a little bit about this news. Again, you probably heard it. It was around this time yesterday. It was a little later. It was right around we were starting the 5 o'clock hour and starting our Wacky Wednesday. But Ryan Williams did, in fact, commit, recommit to Alabama yesterday. Uh, and also right around the time the Auburn-Alabama basketball game was concluding, he also officially canceled his visit uh, to Auburn. So Ryan Williams is pretty much off the board, I would say, uh, for Auburn. Still, Auburn maintains that top 10 class ranking. They still, of course, bring in Cam Coleman, Perry Thompson, Malcolm Simmons, and Bryce Kane, of course, Cam Coleman and Perry Thompson, which are two guys that are expected to be incredibly high impactful players so again there there is truly two sides of this one it is obviously disappointing to lose out ryan williams again his father did play at auburn as we were discussing on the air a little bit there's no doubt about that and i do think he will be uh, a special receiver at the college level and will have a chance to be a special receiver at any level he plays at however it can also be true that auburn was already in a really good spot with this position group it is probably still the best position group that auburn recruited it would be just ahead of the linebacking position, in my opinion. 
And when you have Cam Coleman and Perry Thompson, you expect those two to be your guys on the outside for hopefully the next three or so years. So Auburn is still in a very good position there. Uh, and it's also always disappointing to lose a big-time player like that, especially to Alabama. Both sides can be true. I think both sides are true in this case. Yeah, you know, you you really would have liked to get that and, and complete the quote-unquote what was dubbed the freeze five. Yes. Um, I think you, you would have really liked to get that last piece. Um, but, you know, it, it's you, know, you look at the situation. He was committed to Alabama to start with. Decommitted after Nick Saban uh, retired a couple weeks ago, but obviously, if he committed in the first place to Alabama, there was something about the the school, something about the the program that he uh, that he was you know drawn to, and you know all all they had to do was go you know uh, Kalen DeBoer and that that staff. All they had to do was you know find out what that was, you know kind of you know keep hitting on him, you can find out what that was, and then you know really emphasize some more of that, and so they they got back into. Uh, the conversation uh, we're able to fight off Auburn and, and Texas and uh, and and so that that was a you know that's a big get for for a, a team like uh, Alabama that we mentioned in the last hour that continues to leak players into the into the portal that's a big get uh, to to be able to sign a big time receiver like that Auburn is you know you got four wide receivers um, very rarely do you have a, a you know it, is it you know you're going to have all of them on the field at once. And so it's going to be a, it, it's, you know, that you've got four guys that can go out there and make plays. You've got four guys in that, this freshman class that uh, should be special as well. Again, you would have liked to get that number five slot, but it is, uh, it, it's, you know, I think Auburn's still in a very, very good position with this, uh, not just this wide receiver room, this recruiting class. And it's, uh, you know, you, you turn your focus now and look at uh, the 2025 class. Yeah. So again, that will, pretty much close the book on this this class again I, I I know that there could be one or two last Juco type of guys or lower rated guys but uh, it has really gotten to the point again as everyone has put two and two together over the last couple of years uh, where the February signing period uh, is just not very impactful and and just and especially from a numbers perspective there's just not a lot of people out there so I think this, again, pretty much, again, I can't say for absolute certainty, but this pretty much puts a cap on this class for Auburn, aside from maybe one or two smaller last-second additions. And so with that, with the knowledge that the portal uh, is kind of winding down too, again, the portal is not open for the majority of teams out there, just the last few that are having coaching changes uh, kind of what you see is what you get with the guys that are in the portal, and really most of them have made their decision at this point. Again, I, this is not official. This is not me like being in a courtroom, putting the gavel down, and it's all over. But this, to me, kind of feels like the unofficial end to the roster movement for Auburn pre-spring. Now, there will, there will be more in the spring. There will be more guys from Auburn that will likely hit the portal. And then there will be more guys coming into Auburn, say, in that April to May time period. But I think that pre-spring, when you're looking at it, Auburn's probably about done now. They have brought in around nine or ten transfers. They've obviously seen, what, uh, mid to upper teens, I believe, uh, go through. And, and probably sometime on the show next week, we will go and kind of rank – uh, we'll rank both sides of it. We'll maybe do like top five most impactful losses, and then we'll rank all the additions. We'll do something like that next week. 
Uh, but again, I, I think that that's pretty much going to be the extent of it. Again, there could still be one or two more leaking in, but uh, if you go through any kind of top 25, top 50 player list, they're pretty much all gone. Uh, some of these teams have already brought in 20 to 25. We were going over the rankings yesterday. Uh, and, and then some of these big schools, they've, they've done the 6, 7, or 8 uh, commitment route, the Ohio States of the world, the Texases of the world. Uh, and they're really happy with the six, seven, eight guys that they got. So, again, I think that the massive bulk of the roster movement is just about over. Brooks, I'll put you on the spot here. Uh, if Auburn were to get something else, uh, would you prefer it to be high school or portal? And what position would you prefer? Uh, I, I think at this point, it I would I would lean toward portal. Um, I think you're, you you know, go fishing in the portal, see what you can come out with. Um, the 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 couple, uh, man, I'll give you I'll give you two different positions that I'd like to. Right. Well, three. Well. I'll give you three positions that I, I would be fine with Auburn going and getting somebody. Uh, the number one is uh, one that uh, a lot of people have mentioned, uh, and you know we've talked about on the show. Uh, is maybe going again another quarterback? Maybe not. You know, somebody that you know is, could come in and kind of push uh, push Peyton Thorn, and uh, if not overtake Thorn for the the starting role, uh, but at least push him to to elevate his game up so that he does not lose his starting job. Um, I don't think that's necessary. I think you've got a couple guys on campus right now, uh, and especially if you are truly, you know, if, if Walker White, the the freshman out of Arkansas, is a guy that you have a lot of faith in, uh, especially after spring ball. Um, I don't think that is, you know, if you if you're comfortable with them, and you know, you you look at it, and you say, oh, well, he's a true freshman. Well, Bo Nix was a true freshman just a few years ago when he started for Auburn, uh, and, and was fairly decent uh, his first year with the Tigers under Gus Malzahn. Uh, and so I don't think the, you know, if he's ready to play, I think he, you know, you, he's ready to play. And so we'll, we'll know more about that after the spring. And so I think that's a position Auburn could go get. I would still, and I know you brought some, you brought a guy in, in, uh, from, from Georgia state, uh, in the transfer portal, but I would still pref- you know, like to get a, maybe a veteran wide receiver, that can come in uh, because I know you, you know these these wide receivers that you you just signed with the class. You got some big time guys. You got some big time big stars. Uh, a lot of stars around these guys. But when you get into camp and you get into uh, you know you get into spring and then uh, you you look at them, maybe one of them is you know right you know just needs a little bit more work and he's not fully ready to be that the that guy. And so I would like to bring in a, you know maybe bring in another veteran wide receiver to be to to help. You know, kind of develop that room and help continue to, you know, get these guys ready for big time college football. And then my my third one would be uh, potentially bringing in another offensive lineman. Uh, you, mainly just because you know we we went back to you know keep going back to the the recruiting class uh, from high school. You only brought in what one two offensive linemen in that class. I know you've gotten you know you're you're you've been in the portal a little bit for those, but I would still like you to see because that's still a, a position that everybody you know m- most Auburn fans out there look at and it's and I know it sounds like a broken record when I say this but you know back to the Gus Malzahn era people were complaining about the offensive line play and so I think that's a position that you really can not have too uh you can you can't have too many offensive linemen to bring in because you know if, if somebody goes down or if you know somebody that you you brought in does not work at work out I think that that's still a position that you could you know you always need more guys in the in the reserves for is, is that offensive line 
Yeah, so look, I think a couple things there. One, I want to update everyone on where Auburn does stand because we told you about some other teams yesterday. In the on-three rankings, Auburn's portal class is ranked 14th uh, for what it's worth. Again, I told you, though, when we were talking the other day, be careful with transfer portal rankings because the quantity differences from teams matter so much. It, in high school recruiting and uh, and all that, you'll get within five to six to seven. Everyone will get to about 19 or 20. No one will go above the high 20s usually, so there's a certain range to operate in. Uh, I'll give you another example today regarding Auburn. Auburn is 14th with nine players on the on three ranking, right? Well, uh, that, that average is 75.44. However, you go up to someone – and let's just use South Carolina. South Carolina has 18 players in, which is fifth, okay? But the the average is 75.22. So Auburn and South Carolina essentially have the, the same quality of transfer in, according to on three. But one's fifth, one's 14, because the fifth place team has 18 commitments in, and the 14th place team has half. That has nine. So again, I... I tell you the rankings just so you have a frame of reference, but really it's kind of hard to, you know, it's it's kind of choose your fighter on the quantity and quality and what you need and what you don't need and all that sort of thing. Uh, obviously, I agree with you, Brooks, on the quarterback side of things. I just think that at this point, what's available in the portal now that we're so late in the game, uh, there's not a surefire I'm going to compete right now for the job, no questions asked, and may be the favorite for the job. And I don't want Auburn to have another project. Your long-term project is Walker White now. Uh, and even if you want to say a couple more years of, of trying to develop Holden Gurner, fine, but your long-term project is Walker White. So if you are trying to bring someone else in here, the only scenario is someone that is capable of winning the starting job today and only has one or two years of eligibility. Ironically, something like Peyton Thorne, but hopefully something that you get a little more production out of, uh, especially in the passing department. So that's really what I think Auburn should be looking for, and I'm not sure that that exists anymore in the portal cycle. Of course, we'll see what happens in the spring, and that's when Auburn made their decision this past year. Uh, as far as my other big need, I think it's clearly in the defensive back room. Auburn lost uh, three or four guys to the pros. They've lost a couple of transfers, such as O'Donovan Kaufman. And they brought in Jaron Thompson of Texas, and I think he'll probably start. And they brought in Antonio Kite of Alabama, although he will be much more raw, and, and we'll see what his role could be. I think Auburn could absolutely use, and I know they brought in a Juco guy in the recruiting class, I think Laquan Robinson, but I think that they really could use one more proven uh, playable power five defensive back because I think that was a pretty good strong point of the team last year and as of right now I'm personally going to be fairly nervous about it heading into 2024 quite frankly I'm be nervous about a lot of the different positions on the defensive side of the ball just again marrying up uh, the coaching changes with uh, the depth loss in the DB room given that you still had a pretty big need for significant improvement up front Again, I think there's going to be a lot of questions in the defensive side of things. So I definitely think that they could stay in the game. Another defensive back, they addressed some needs on the defensive line with Gage Key, uh, Keys and Trill Carter of Texas. So I, I think that they are, again, kind of going about it the right way. Uh, but, again, I think numbers-wise they would be st would be smart to, to add one or two there. And, of course, they do need to investigate uh, any and all quarterbacks that hit the portal. Uh, obviously, they're done hitting the portal for this cycle, but hit the portal in the spring. Let's head to our first timeout 
of the 4 o'clock hour. When we come back, again, we'll be starting to wind down the show. We get off air about 4.45 today, but also want to update you about the NFL head coaching news. Two coaches hired today, both in the NFC South. One coach hired yesterday away from college football and Jim Harbaugh. We'll talk about those hires and more next. attention please ladies and gentlemen can i please have your attention we're auburn's first and auburn's favorite sports talk show hi my name is what my name is my name is sports call on tiger 95.9 we're done paying the bills now back to sports call on tiger 95.9 Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childers with you here. Only about 15, 20 minutes left here in this Thursday edition of the program as Borgard High School basketball will get underway about 5 o'clock. So we're getting off air about 4.45 and uh, get set up for that. We will have a full show tomorrow, though, where we'll have still a lot to preview for the weekend and that sort of thing. We'll have the conference championship games in the National Football League. We'll have the Auburn game. We'll have more SEC basketball. And, of course, more of your thoughts on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Last 15 or 20 minutes today, we do want to talk some NFL, though. We want to talk about the most recent head coaching news. Three hires in the last 24 hours as we pick things up. Now six of the eight head coaching vacancies filled. It began yesterday with a move from college to the NFL. Jim Harbaugh returning to the National Football League after his time with the San Francisco 49ers, of course, coming back to his alma mater in Michigan, winning the title this year under NCAA scrutiny and investigation, and now to the L.A. Chargers, where he will get to coach one of the best young quarterbacks in the league, Justin Herbert. That's the decision the Chargers made this morning. The Carolina Panthers made their decision, hiring Tampa Bay Buccaneer offensive coordinator Dave Canales. Canales, just one year in Tampa, helped improve that offense, spent time prior to that in Seattle, helping to rehab the career of Geno Smith as his quarterback coach. And then also, just a few moments ago, the Atlanta Falcons did make their decision. Of course, you can hear all Falcons games right here in Tiger 95.9 throughout the NFL season. The Falcons deciding they would take a defensive mind. But it's not the mind of Bill Belichick. It will be former Tampa Bay Buccaneer head coach Raheem Morris, current defensive coordinator of the Los Angeles Rams. He's been the defense coordinator of the Rams the last three seasons, including their Super Bowl team of a few years ago and their playoff team, of course, of this year. So Raheem Morris gets his second head coaching opportunity. He was the interim for the Falcons back in 2020 uh, prior to their uh, hiring of Arthur Smith. Raheem went 4-7. and seven in that stint with the Falcons after they departed ways with Dan Quinn. All right, so three hires last 24 hours, Brooks. Uh, What do you think of these? And, again, it's. I will also tell you this. 
I'm not seeing Bill Belichick be a coach this year. Uh, to according to Ian Rapport's reporting, the Falcons were the only job he interviewed for. So unless Washington or Seattle, which are the two remaining vacancies, have a change of heart, he will not be coaching in the 24-25 season. And honestly, you know, I, I think I said it at the beginning of this this whole coaching cycle for the NFL, I, I thought Washington would be a good fit for him. I, I, I liked him uh, in the, the commander's uh, spot. So if that turns around and, you know, they, they'd make their decision. But, yet yeah, it doesn't look like – and it feels like, you know, some of the reports that he may have been wanting a little bit more control – uh, you know, like he had in, in New England, but I, I just you know, New England was such a unique situation for him. I, I don't know if you're, I don't know how, how often you're going to get head coaches to have that much control uh, over personnel anymore uh, going down because there's so many, so many uh, numbers guys with the GMs, and there's there's so many guys guys in front offices that are you know proven commodities, and they can make these you know big moves and such, and and you you know you hire you say we're hiring a coach to coach and. Where our guys are going to put put the put the rosters together, and so it's it yeah it's unfortunate that he you know he wasn't you know this this he may not coach this year in the NFL, um, but uh, I think that if you're you know some of the things uh, he was asking he's been asking for with the at least the Falcons and you know obviously that's gotten probably gotten around to the other teams is that it may not be some, a move that teams are wanting to make. Um, the Harbaugh situation with uh, with with the Chargers, uh, you know, I think we all kind of knew it was not a, a a matter of if he was going to the NFL this year. I know there was a couple talks out there from you know some Michigan that they were trying to work on a, a contract extension or something, but it you know it was not a matter of if it was it was a matter of of when he was going back to the NFL. And you mentioned it earlier, Ryan. It feels like this could be the last stop. He's getting up up in age. He's going to a place that has a quarterback, a, a proven quarterback. The Chargers are a roster that we've talked about year after year after year that they felt like they were right there. They could compete for, you know, a, a playoff spot, maybe not win the division because you still have to go up against Patrick Mahomes and, and the Chiefs. Um, but they could compete for a wild card spot, and they just never have, have done that. And so I, I think Jim Harbaugh can go in, and I think, you know, uh, it, it's a guy that can – and he's going to walk in there, and, you know, you you know it. he's been, was able to get a team into the Super Bowl – uh, with those 49ers, they were and the 49ers were com, com, very competitive when he was the head coach there, and so I, I think that you know he's a guy that will go back to the NFL and be able to win. He's he's won almost everywhere he's been, and so it, it's you know he, he's I think that's a good move for for the Chargers, especially because you've got the the room kind of set up. Uh, both NFC South hires, uh, I, I do like the the hire uh, for Carolina. I think that uh, I, I didn't uh, I know there were times this year that Tampa Bay's offense kind of struggled a little bit, but I think when you're you're trying to uh, when you, when you're trying to rehab a quarterback or try, I say rehab a quarterback, try to build up a quarterback, try to turn it. You know, you, you look what he's done. Like you mentioned, Geno Smith and with what what he's done with Baker Mayfield this year. Um, I, I think that he's a guy that can go in and you know it gives the Panthers hope that they can maybe turn the turn the tides on uh, on Bryce Young and kind of kind of quote unquote fix him and, and get him into a, an NFL level quarterback. I, I know there's a lot more wrong with that team uh, than just the quarterback play, but you know, if you start there, you start the quarterback position. The 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 quarterback that you drafted really really high last year. Um, it's uh, I think that you know that that's where you really need to start is, and especially in the NFL, is get that quarterback right and then start building around it. And then uh, the the Raheem Morris for the the Falcons. Um, yeah, it, it's a it's a move that I think could work out. Um, he's a, he's a guy that uh, you know. 
you you bring him in. I, I think that he's you know he, he's coached defense as well. Um, I, you know a lot of Falcons fans a lot of wanted a, an offensive guy to come in because you know you look at the shortcomings of the Falcons this year. It was mainly offensive uh, stuff, and so hopefully I, I think that now you you turn your attention to who they bring in as an OC. Uh, to to fix that offensive side of things because I think that he what he's going to do is uh, is Morris is going to come in and is going to help strengthen that defense even more he he's a good uh, a good defensive coordinator um, but I, I think that he's going to come in and get that defensive uh, strength a little bit more the the real question for this hire is who he gets as an offensive coordinator can they can they either fix a, a Desmond Ritter or are they going to or can the the new OC comes in and say hey we got to go get a quarterback in the draft this year. Yeah, Raheem's definitely the most fascinating hire here. We'll, so I'll get to him in just a second. And, yes, I think he's more fascinating than Harbaugh if you look at it. Look, Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers was really a layup. Uh, if you thought about this, this was the job that he would want the most. This was a, a link that had the Chargers linked to him for, for months because of how quickly they fired Brandon Staley. The only thing that could complicate it was did Harbaugh – get a new deal at Michigan or something. But if Jim Harbaugh was going to the NFL and he had his pick, his pick was going to be the Chargers. And if the Chargers had their pick, clearly it was going to be Harbaugh. So this match was kind of predestined a little bit. And look, I, I think that the two best jobs on the board got locked up here with the Chargers and the Falcons here in the last 24 hours. And I think because of having Justin Herbert, that will give you a chance. Like there are going to be things to, to fix. There are going to be cap concerns in future years. But if you can start with one thing as a new head coach or a new regime, start with having a good quarterback. Now, you can still argue, like, what is Herbert actually? Is he the fourth best guy? Is he the seventh best guy? The, the eighth best guy? The, the, the third best guy? Like, you can have those arguments still. We're still trying to figure all that out. But he is at minimum a top ten guy. He is probably – somewhere in the back in the top five or, or or knocking on the door. And that's a beautiful place to start if you are, are re-entering the National Football League. Jim Harbaugh's a good football coach. Might not like, like him a lot and some of the things he does off the field, and I would certainly agree with that. But uh, the guy won a lot in San Francisco, a lot. Again, they were in the Super Bowl. They were in three straight title games in the, in the NFC. The guy can coach. He obviously just won a title at Michigan. So – I, I think that that will end up being a good match. I'm sure it will be well covered with being in the L.A. market and being Jim Harbaugh, so there may be, be some dramatics to it, but I think that will ultimately work. Carolina's decision, look, personally, I hate it. <laughs> uh, I think Dave Canales was learning uh, throughout this year to be a better and better offensive coordinator. I thought he developed uh, much better uh, concepts for Tampa Bay this year than they did last year as they, they had the last year Tom Brady and, and had a year of Byron Leftwich without Bruce Arians running the ship. And I just think that it got uh, very, very stale last year. Uh, they were not able to do many different things, very predictable, and had to operate under a very, very small window of execution of which they usually were not able to live up to. This year, they opened some things up. There was more play action. There was more stuff to get Baker running around a little bit. Uh, even the running game, which was still last in the league, still averaged 14 or 15 more yards than it did last year. So at least they were a little more uh, concentrated in, in trying to get it going. They ran pretty well against Detroit, as a matter of fact, even in the loss. And, and so I think that they were doing things subtly better all year and then were starting to really get better 
by the end of it, and I think that's why they had two really productive offensive outputs in the playoffs. I mean, didn't lose the the, the NFC division game because of offense and, and certainly played a really good offensive game against Philly, and I think that Carolina took notice of that. I also think Carolina took notice of the fact that they failed with Baker Mayfield the year before, and the Bucks with Dave Canales did not fail with Baker Mayfield this year. And I can totally see David Tepper being as simple-minded as we had Baker and couldn't coach him right, and they had Baker, they did coach him right. I, I literally think that that's potentially what it was. And so uh, they're going with Canales. Is it a little too soon for him because he's only an OC for one year? We'll see. But we talked last week about how that's kind of the deal. If the moment someone gets good, you draw that interest quick because there's not a lot of these jobs and everyone wants to beat everyone else to the punchline. So I certainly understand it. I think it will put Tampa in a predicament because Baker Mayfield will have to have yet another offensive coordinator and, again, they're in a spot that they did not want to be in. They thought surely they'd have Canales for more than one year, and they don't. So good hire by Carolina, I think, if for simply just maybe weakening Tampa Bay a little bit. Uh, and then for Atlanta, this is the one that is going to be a little more studied. Another Bucks tie here. Raheem Morris was the head coach of the Buccaneers from 09 to 11. He had worked with the Bucks for a while. I mean, he had been working with the Bucks and John Gruden all the way back to 2002, their Super Bowl year in some capacity. Uh, he got that head coaching job at 33 years old. And I told Brooks off there, Rondé Barber was older than Raheem Morris when Raheem Morris took over there. That is a interesting dynamic. And look, it was not all bad. 09 was awful. They were not good that year. 2010 for the Bucs in the second year, they won 10 games. Unfortunately, they just missed out in the playoffs. Uh, maybe one of the type of teams where the NFL was trying to get it up to seven per conference, not six. Uh, but the Bucks went 10-6 in year two, and then year three they were awful once again, uh, and he was fired. Uh, since then, he worked a lot with Atlanta. This is a guy that people maybe didn't think too much about, but there was a real tie to Atlanta. He was in Atlanta for, I believe, five or six years. And what was interesting about his time in Atlanta was that he switched sides of the ball. Uh, that is something that's pretty rare for someone like Raheem Morris that already had a head coaching job and, been a defensive coordinator briefly. He became the pass game coordinator and wide receivers coach for the Falcons. He's completely flipped side of the ball. And then Dan Quinn then shifted back the side of the ball he wanted him on. He became the defensive coordinator of 2020 when then Quinn got fired and, and Raheem Morris became the interim. So he, even for Atlanta, he worked both sides of the ball, even br uh, just briefly with the defense, but mainly offense uh, changed there. But then after his time in Atlanta, again, picked up back on the defensive side of the ball, became D.C. of the Rams. Uh, pretty decent defenses. Now, this year was not great. That's not the reason they made the playoffs. They were 20th in yards per game allowed and 19th in points per game allowed. So was not necessarily having a great uh, year with L.A. this year. But I will tell you this. Uh, even as someone that uh, his organization had to fire him, I, I really, really wanted Raheem Morris to get another opportunity. I am, of course, going to lament the fact a little bit that it's going to be my division. It's going to be much harder to root for him, harder to root for division rivals. But I think Raheem Morris was incredibly deserving another opportunity. Now, as it pertains to Atlanta, I think there's a pro and a con. The pro is, again, they know him. And, and along with that, they know that he can work both sides of the ball. It's not necessarily an all-defensive hire. However, the con is... They clearly, I felt needed, their fans felt like they needed an offensive guy. I just think that that would have been the most logical move in a time where they're clearly going to change their quarterback, 
a time where they clearly have some of the most interesting young weapons in the league between Kyle Pitts, Drake London, and B. John Robinson. I felt maximizing that because, look, you might say that's too much talent to fail. I think it failed this year. I don't think they took advantage of it this year. I think they would have been in the playoffs if they did take advantage of this year. And you can blame quarterback, coach, everything in between, but the reality is you can mess up that talent. The Atlanta Falcons messed up that talent this year. And so you wanted to enrich that talent at least to some degree. Now, they might argue that Raheem can do that because he did work with wide receivers and offense side ball. Okay, point given, but he's still not that's still not his expertise. His expertise is still going to fall on the defensive side of the ball. So we'll see that all the hires that everyone makes, but Raheem is definitely going to be the more fascinating of these three hires because uh, I can see the arguments to why this was a pretty good hire, and I can see the argument why it was not the right hire either uh, because of their need for offensive development with all their young pieces and and that sort of thing. So it is a fascinating hire uh, for Atlanta, for Raheem Morris. Again, ultimately, I am glad that he's getting another opportunity. I think it was about time. I mean, he'd been sitting there for about – uh, 11 or 12 years after his Bucks chance. I mean, if you get the chance when you're that young, that indicates that you should probably get an opportunity to prove your, reprove yourself. So, uh, again, interesting. But the last thing we'll talk about here, and we're down to about five minutes left in the show, is, again, what I asked Brooks a little bit, uh, a little bit ago. The interesting part about Bill Belichick not getting this opportunity because Belichick – only interviewed for this job. It was all reported about how much Blank loved a big-name head coach. And yet they go with someone that's on that side of defensive expertise, but it's not him. So take me through maybe the, the, the thought process on someone else related to defense but not but not him. Um, I, I think it, it's like we went, uh, mentioned earlier. I think it's about uh, the, the amount of control that Bill wanted, and I think it's about the amount of uh, amount of um, control that he was that Arthur Blank was willing to give. Uh, you know, you have the CEO Rich McKay is in place, and so I, I don't know if uh, if if Belichick wanted to uh, be part of uh, that type of system. Didn't want to just you know wanted to just. Um, Wanted to just answer to an owner with a uh, with uh, a guy like Arthur Blank didn't want to uh, wanted to didn't want to have to go through a guy like Rich McKay and so I think it was about control plus you look at the age you know Belichick's over seventy years old uh, at this point um, and you, you're bringing in a defensive guy who's a little bit younger a, a guy that's uh, has proven that he's a, you know you mentioned he, he went and was an offensive assistant um, he's a guy that pro- that is. Uh, Said he's willing to change some stuff about it, uh, change change some stuff, and so uh, I think that it's you know I, I don't think it's an indictment all about Bill Belichick's ability to coach. I think what we I think everybody knows that he's a winning coach. Um, you look at his record against all every team that he's you know he faced. Uh, he, he can coach football. Uh, he's got you know what second most wins in in history of the NFL or third most wins in the history of the NFL. Um, there he, he can coach football. I think it was more about the level of control that he was comfortable with. Uh, and then plus, you know, it, it could have been, you know, if you if you know they, the Falcons with this young core that they've got, especially on offense, they may be looking to win, you know, for a guy that's going to be, you know, could be around for a few more years. And Belichick may have been able to promise them that they were going to, he was going to give them. Maybe Belichick 
said that he was, you know, he just wanted to do it a few more years and then retire. And and guys like Arthur Blank were, you know, looked at it and said, well, we want a guy that, you know, potentially could be here for a longer run because these uh, most of our guys here are young and they're going to be with the with the uh, with with the franchise for a little bit. And so we want to be able to take advantage uh, as many years as possible. So I, I think it, it, it could be a, a multi- multitude of things. Um, it's it's just unfortunate of how things ended in New England uh, and the fact that there's a chance that uh, possibly one of the greatest, uh, if, if not the greatest NFL coach of all time, is not going to get a chance to coach this year. Yeah, and look, maybe he will get another chance next year. Now, I'm certainly not vouching for him necessarily over Raheem because it's some of the things you said where, again, you have to acknowledge the fact no matter what you think he still is or is not, it's not you're not going to get along with him. You're, Raheem Morris is 47 years old. If Raheem Morris is good for Atlanta, he can coach 20 years there. Uh, it, it's not normally how it works in the NFL, but again, if he's good there, he can coach there however long you want him to. Belichick's got five years tops, if that. I mean, again, like you, you don't have you have a certain window, and Atlanta might have finally evaluated and said, you know what, I don't, we don't want to put ourselves under that much of a time constraint because again, five is max. It could be two or three, and is Atlanta two years away? Maybe. I mean, things can happen quickly in the NFL, but it's all about quarterback. They're not two years away if they don't get the quarterback right right now. Uh, when whether if they're if they're in position to draft it or not, we'll see. Do they uh, swing at Kirk Cousins? We'll see uh, what the path is with quarterback. But again, without having much certainty at quarterback, it's really hard to really know the exact timeline. It very well might be a couple years. It might have to be four or five years more realistically. But uh, you know, it, it just depends on on that sort of thing. So, very interesting hire. I know we'll have more thoughts on it in the couple, coming days when uh, when the rest of the hires are made. Again, Washington and Seattle, opposite sides of the country, are the last two jobs that are vacant. We're about out of time for the show today, but real quickly, we need to get to a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide is presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brooks, what do we have? Uh, one movie pick for you this evening, 646, exactly, on Stars. It's Iron Man 3, your Marvel fix for the evening. It's also the only movie pick of the evening. Uh, so check that out. Robert Downey Jr. plays Tony Stark. A lot of different sports on for you tonight uh, around the, the, the world of uh, sports. A lot of basketball, though. You've got a couple men's college basketball games at 6 o'clock on ESPN2. You've got SMU taking on... North Texas, then follow that up also at 6 o'clock on ESPNU. You get some mid-major basketball. Purdue-Fort Wayne takes on Northern Kentucky. Northern Kentucky's a team that has been in the tournament the last few years, uh, so check them out. Six, uh, also, uh, college basketball, women's side of things, a big game, biggest game of the year in the SEC probably, 7 o'clock on ESPN, number one, South Carolina visits, number uh, nine, LSU. Uh, then also you got an NBA action tonight, 6.30 on TNT. It is Boston visiting Miami. And that, my friends, is a nightly TV guy brought to our friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks, and appreciate you being on the show today. And uh, we'll see you again next week as you will be off tomorrow but again certainly appreciate everything you do we'll see you again next week absolutely see you then again that does it for this shortened edition of sports call we will be back tomorrow with another full three hour edition so i definitely want to tune in to that as always we appreciate all those that tune in and called in for brooks childress my name is ryan boy have a great thursday night and we'll talk to you again tomorrow